Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. Good morning, lovely friends and saunterers. Welcome to our final saunter in the book of John. At least for now, who knows, we may come back. But um, John chapter 21 today, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing book which we have so thoroughly enjoyed diving into And Lord, we pray on this last day of the book, you'll speak to us no less than ever before, Lord, in fact, more. You just reveal yourself to us, just like you did to your disciples, in your precious name. Amen. So here we go then, John chapter 21, verse 1. Good morning, Salmoon. Hope you're well. And this is Jesus. He's revealing himself to his disciples. So after this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat but that night caught they caught nothing. Good morning, Pete. This is really interesting. I was thinking about this this morning. Jesus does not go out after his resurrection looking for fresh blood, looking for fresh people to impress or to, woohoo, it's me. But what he does, he goes straight to his friends, to the people who've walked with him for three years already. And Jesus wants to connect with them and reveal himself to them so they absolutely get the picture of what's going on and understand the next chapter and the next season for them and and it struck me morning Fran it struck me that when there is a move of God and people embrace that move and they walk with him and they faithfully try to um, continue on in the things that they've learned in that in that kind of move of God and then there's there's a maybe a bit of a lull or a bit of a season change a bit of a different kind of thing going on and then the Lord begins to move again because very often it seems in history that there are waves of the spirit that seem to come into uh, a community or a nation or or the church and I, it just struck me that God God comes back to those who have, it's not like he's gone away, but it's like he looks to reveal himself again to those people that are already intimate with him, who are already given to walking with him. And that then becomes his push to reach out to a new group of people, but through the people who have already developed that relationship and they're already on that pilgrimage with him already on that journey and so sometimes I think there's a bit of a kind of lull even in our own lives and yet we've we've learned and we've walked with him and we've spent time with him and that's 
in a sense, that's money in the bank. And if we just eat in these kind of little lulls, if we can not kind of lose hope. And I think sometimes people are critical of the disciples for going fishing. It's like they're returning to their fishing nets. But I think they're practical. Peter's a very practical guy. I'm sure Peter sat in an upper room with a bunch of disciples all kind of speculating about what happens next and with the door locked and everything else because they're afraid I'm sure Peter's a bit like getting cabin fever and thinking oh my I'm gonna die or go insane if I stay with these guys in this confined space any longer I need to get out I need to get some fresh air I need to go fishing plus we need some money this is what I know how to do it's not like he's going into rebellion he's just I think he's just being very practical. And the other guys are saying, God, me too, me too. I'm so fed up with sitting around, aren't you? I'm getting cabin fever. And so they get out in the boat and they spend all night fishing and catch absolutely diddly. And (laughs) you can imagine them thinking, "Um, what's going on? Where are the fish? And these are professionals, aren't they? They're not amateurs going out to you know, doing it all wrong. They know where the fish should be and how to catch them. Verse four. But this is the thing. Jesus is revealing himself. He's showing himself. This is a process. It's interesting because he appeared to them in through in the room with the doors locked and he appeared again to Thomas when, when Thomas was there, made sure Thomas was on the page as well. But there's still a process that's going on and Jesus is revealing himself. And there he's showing himself, manifesting himself, the word is there. So verse four, it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children or lads, hey, lads, got any fish? He says, children, have you, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, they don't say, oh, well, you know, who are you? Because they didn't recognise him. So I don't know whether it's kind of a gloomy light or something, but we do see this phenomenon happening with Jesus in his resurrected body that people don't properly recognise him. Now, bear in mind, the disciples have already seen him, so they know he's around, they know he's alive, he could show up. They're not just, it seems they're not spending quite the same amount of time all together with him as they had initially or for the three years but at least they know he's around but for this moment in the story they don't recognize him and you can imagine there's a boat out there and you can see the guys fishing someone shouts to you from the shore you look across you think who is that it's kind of misty it's difficult it's not quite light properly yet who is that but and and But it's interesting that they don't question the instruction. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I don't know about in the Middle East, but often professionals are a bit intolerant of amateurs telling them their job. And so they might say, well, shut up. We fished all night. Go away. Who are you anyway? But there's something in the disciples that just, I don't know if it's curiosity or whether Peter remembers something of that encounter when Jesus told him to put the net down again and he said well master we fished all night and Jesus we've caught nothing not even a minnow and Jesus says no put the net down 
and they catch so many fish it's insane and that at that point peter gets down on his knees the boat's full of fish he gets down on his knees and says you know depart from me i'm a sinful man so maybe there's something going on in peter he's thinking hold on we've been here before haven't we i remember i know this i this is something this is familiar territory to me and so um, he they answered him no he said to them cast a net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that disciple whom Jesus loved that's John we know he's the narrator he's the one writing the story that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter it is the Lord. Now, it's interesting because you can cast Peter and John almost in a bit of friendly rivalry. And I don't know whether there is or not. But John always wants to be the one who recognises Jesus because it's, it, for John is like Jesus isn't just another guy. Jesus is his whole life. He's the beloved disciple. He can't get enough of Jesus. He is absolutely consumed with passion for Jesus and so when John says I just love this when John says it is the Lord um, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea <laughs> uh, for us westerners that seems all wrong doesn't it we take our clothes off to get into the sea Peter puts his on and just throws himself in. And I love it. It's, it's like he's stripped down to the waist. He's just got maybe his loincloth on because he's working. He's maybe rowing the boat. I don't know. But they're working hard. They're throwing in the nets. It's warm and sultry kind of work. As a he, But Jesus is his rabbi. Jesus is his lord and master. And so he put some clothes on to look respectable and then probably throws himself into the sea. I don't know if he swims or wades or whatever to the shore, but there he is on his way to meet Jesus. And he hasn't, he's not thinking about, oh, my, my clothes are going to get wet. He's just thinking, I need to see Jesus. I cannot bear to not see Jesus. And so when he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a 100 yards off. So I know some of our friends have been to the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee, and some of the people watching this will have been there. Um, so you probably know better than me how deep it gets, how quickly and so on. But anyway, somehow... They make it to the shore. They're dragging this massive net full of fish. They're not going to try and land it onto the ship, onto the boat, because there's no need. They're so near the shore. And the risk of breaking it once they get it up out of the water is obviously a lot higher with so many fish. And so if they can just drag it safely to the shore, they can land the fish safely without losing them all. Um, and when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. I love this. I love this right oh partly because I love charcoal fires I love the smell of oh the smell of an open fire with food cooking on it is just the best and when they got out on land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread this is pressing some buttons isn't it right here we go and Jesus said to them bring some of the fish that you've just caught so Simon Peter went 
aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, theologians and commentators and preachers have tried to work out what the 153 means. It just means there was 153 fish. (laughs) Let's not try and make it symbolic. It's a number of fish. John is a fisherman. He would be interested in how many they caught. I bet you they were so used to instinctively counting the fish when they landed them that they just naturally counted those fish. And John would be like, there's 153. Peter's like, 153? How many is there? And James would be, yeah. Or who's the other guys who are there? Yeah, 153. Wow, that's amazing. And look at the size of them. They're whoppers and all the rest of it. And fishermen love to be able to say, it was this big, don't they? And say, oh, you should have seen these fish. If you'd have come yesterday, they were huge. And anyway, so they were just jumping into the boat. Anyway, right. Verse, where are we? Verse 11. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Nice. Now, again, sermons have been preached on that about how do we catch the fish without the net breaking and the fish being lost, as in how do we reach the world? How do we gather people into God's kingdom? And that's a well-used metaphor in the Bible. Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. So that's something legitimate uh, as a as a metaphor. We can use that one. And the nets are the church maybe in our relationships, hold the nets together. You know, the not our relationships are the knots and so on. So the fact that the nets didn't break. Ah, great. So good. It's a good picture. It's a good picture of a, a bumper harvest. And so although Jesus has gone initially to his friends, a very small number of people to reveal himself, there's this picture straight away there on the beach of what the disciples will do following on, which is to gather many, 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 many people in. So that so many that even the experts are like, wow, that's a lot. And I'm sure the seasoned fishermen in the group were like, wow, that's a good catch of fish right there. And so anyway, they have some of them, some more of them for breakfast. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, Lord? <laughs> or who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This now was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples. Sorry, to the disciples after he'd been raised from the dead. Can you imagine Jesus is serving these guys with fish and bread? This is not the first time this has happened, is it? They, Jesus puts the bread and the fish in their hands and their minds are all going back to the day of the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000. And they're having that, mem- oh gosh, oh this is, no one's going to say, who are you Lord? It's just so obvious, it's Jesus and it's such a Jesus kind of thing to do. He tells them how to catch the fish, but clearly he doesn't need them to catch fish for breakfast to happen. And I think just I was listening to the news a little bit this morning. I was thinking, gosh, things are getting tight, aren't they? You know, with the cost of heating and the cost of electricity and gas and everything going through the roof and all the other things, the cost of food going up in the supermarkets, limited uh, rationing of eggs and so on. 
trying to think. This is these are difficult times, and there's there's a picture for us here though. Jesus, although he blessed their work and gave them a bumper harvest of fish, he didn't need that to provide for them. Do you hear me? He already had his own supply. How did Jesus get the fish? Well, who even cares? He's got them. You know, he's not going to have stolen them, is he? He's Jesus. He's not going to steal fish from somebody or get them illegally off the black market. He's got them. He's got this fish. And so let's just look to Jesus in these times and say, Lord, you can feed 5,000 people. You can feed your disciples like it's a little family gathering with fish and bread which we don't know where you got it from. Lord, we know that you are the source of our supply and we're going to look to you in these challenging times and say, come on, Lord, you you promise to supply all we need according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we're looking to you. You are going to be the source of our supply and we're going to have stories and stories of, excuse me, of his provision. And there are times in our lives when we have to dig deep and put our trust in him and be brave and be confident in him and not give way to anxiety because there's going to be a lot of temptation to give in to anxiety and speculation and thinking, what's going to happen to me? Um. So here we go. So this was now the third time. So Jesus has given them, the, he's revealing himself, he's manifesting himself, he's showing his true identity to the disciples because he wants them to be the fishers of men who go out with this incredible message into the world and he wants them to be absolutely clear. But what he's doing as well is he's giving them personal stories. They will be able to say, do you know what I remember? I was in the boat fishing with Peter and John. And there's Jesus stood on the beach and he's cooking fish. How did he get the fish? There he is. He's there. And he tells us, throw the nets in the other side. So we throw the net and and we've got and they're going to have these incredible stories to tell um, of their personal encounters with Jesus, the risen savior, not just a theological concept that they can repeat and pass on like a kind of. I don't know, like someone who's learned the mantra or the kind of blah, you know, the liturgy or something. So, but this is personal. Right, here we go. So verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Right. Jesus is saying to Peter something very specific. Um, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to enjoy the Bible and to understand it well and to have revelation of Jesus. But there are a few little things that the Greek helps us with. And this is one of them. When Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He's using the word agape or agapeo, which is that that word which means sacrificial love, love that isn't earned, love that doesn't expect anything in return. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, do you love me more than these? And I I guess he's saying more than these other guys or more than the people around us. And 
And But Peter has become sobered by his experience of denying Jesus. And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he uses a, the word for friendship, phileo. It's a good thing. Friendship is a beautiful thing. There's something about the commitment, but it's a reciprocal love. It's kind of you give to me, I give to you. Peter's not going to aspire anymore to call in his love for Jesus more than it he knows it really is and he knows in his heart he failed to deliver on that sacrificial love thing and so he then Pete Jesus says to him Lord and um, Peter says to, to him yes Lord you know that I love you phileo he said to him feed my lambs right this is your job Peter look after my my sheep be you know feed them make sure they get fed and he said to him a second time Simon son of John do you love me and he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Once again, the same use of the word agapeo and phileo. Jesus says agape, Peter says phileo. And it's it's kind of, oh, second time round, it's kind of a little bit more painful, isn't it? And then Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. And the word there he uses is from the word which we get pastor from. He's saying shepherd my sheep. Be a shepherd Pete. Look after my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's the other believers. The younger ones. The more vulnerable ones. The newbies. Feed them. Take care of them like a shepherd. And John's already given us the good shepherd passage hasn't he? We've read that together. It's an absolute banger. And Jesus is saying Pete you know what a shepherd does. I've told you. Right, that's what I want from you. I'm looking for that. Lay down your life for the sheep. Be the doorway. Do you know what I mean? And all the rest of it. So, and um, then he says to him, verse 17, a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time he says, Phileo, are you my friend, Pete? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what Jesus is doing is three times he's going back to Peter. He's having this. He's not letting Peter off the hook. He's in a sense holding Peter's feet to the fire until he's got real and been able to confess it out loud in public yeah Jesus you know I love you but my love isn't quite what I thought it to be and Jesus is not just getting him to suffer but he's then saying right Peter on the strength of that here's something I'm asking from you feed my sheep do something for me as my friend shepherd my flock look after my sheep and um so Peter so Peter's pain that Jesus said it three times obviously he denied him three times and then he says truly truly I say to you so Jesus says to Peter truly truly I say to you when you were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go and this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God and after saying this he said to him follow me so Peter is beginning to see now what it really means to love Jesus it means that 
Jesus, Jesus is going to his death. And he says in the same way as the father sent me, so I'm sending you. He's just said that in the previous chapter. Um, Jesus was sent to his death. Jesus came here to die. And, and, and Jesus is saying, Pete, I'm calling you to die for me. I'm calling you to be willing to lay down your life for the sheep and to be willing to die for me, for the gospel, for this good news message. It's worth dying for, Peter. I've just died for it. I'm alive again. And actually, you know what? There's going to be a time when someone's going to stretch out your hand. You're going to be an old man. Someone's going to stretch out your hands and put take you where you don't want to be. And he was understanding that this this whole journey with Jesus was going to cost him everything. It was going to cost him his life and he would die the same death that his master died. We the, the church tradition is that Peter refused to be crucified in the same way as Jesus and insisted that he was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to die the same death as his Lord. It's just uh, incredible, isn't it, that Peter would come to that place of such humility? Because we love Peter because he's a <laughs> he's a bit sort of <laughs> impulsive and jumps in, and I mean, even throwing himself into the sea from the boat. You know, it's all very dramatic. It's just so Peter. But Jesus is saying, "Pete, I love you," but what I'm asking, what where I'm, where this love will take you, has to be to where you lay down your life for me. And you know what? I believe the Lord is calling you and me to the same level of devotion. Are we willing to truly lay down our... Are we willing to embrace the same cross that Jesus had to embrace? Right. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it? And Hannah said, Lord, who is it? Who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, so this is John he's talking about. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So you've told me a bit about my future, about what I should expect. What about this guy who's John? And Peter and John, they seem to be good buddies, but who knows? <laughs> and he's, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus is saying in a very nice roundabout, well, fairly direct kind of way, Pete, mind your own business. <laughs> it's not your concern. I'm I'm concerned that you follow me. Right. You, Peter, you follow me. Come with me. Don't worry about John. He's going to have his own destiny to follow. But you follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that, um, oh, did I read it? Let me read it again. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So John the apostle, obviously, he's hearing this and he's listening to this conversation. He's going to be a, <laughs> very interested in what's being said, isn't he? Good morning, Wills. Good morning, Anne. And good morning, Angela. He's going to be very interested in what is actually being said. So he's recording all of this in his mind. So he just wants to make it clear. No, Jesus did not say 
contrary to popular belief that has sprung up around the disciples that I'm going to live until Jesus comes back. John clarifies the point. He says, no, Jesus never said that. What he said was, if that is my will, what is it to you, Peter? So, Peter, you might die on a cross if John, if it's my will for John to stay alive until I come back. Well, that's not your concern, is it? And so there's a lesson in there even for us, isn't there? Well, what about him? What about her? What, well, she does get to do that. And what about me? And why can't I do that? And our job is to follow Jesus and to stop being petty and poking our nose into other people's business and let their, them pursue their own call that God has for them. OK, um, so verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Once again, that word is the word for testimony is the word we get martyr from. It's martus or marturio. And um, he's saying, we know, this is me writing, hi Festus, we know that his testimony is true. This is John, this book is John's sworn affidavit, if, we, if you like. It's his testimony that he would stand by all his life. He would base his whole life on the testimony that he wrote down in this book. And he's saying, we know this man, because he, he's obviously writing it himself, he's going to he believes he's saying, I utterly believe this. I know it's true. This is my testimony. Verse 25. Now, there are also many things, many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that amazing? So John is saying, listen, this is not an exhaustive um, account of everything Jesus did. He said, if everything Jesus did was written down, I suppose the world wouldn't be able to contain all of those books. And if that was true back then, after three years of Jesus' ministry on the earth, what Jesus has continued to do throughout the whole world through disciples like Peter and John and James and the others in the first um, century, the first generation, and then following on, all how the gospel is spread around the world. And in every continent, every nation, there are believers serving Jesus, and Jesus is living out through them, even now, even today. Good morning, Raymond. Can you imagine if we tried to document every, if you personally tried to document every single miracle, answer to prayer, things that you've known God's really specially helped you to achieve. If you tried to write it down, it would be already probably a big book. And you multiply that by two billion people around the world or however many it is who are genuinely following Jesus. And then you think about it round, you know, through history and so on and so on. It would be a lot of books, wouldn't it? And so John's saying, Guys, this is this is a starter for 10. This isn't the whole. There's so much more I could say. There's so much more I could write. But what I've done, I've written these things down so that you can believe. And that by believing, you will have life in his name. Wow. Thank you so much for sauntering with me. If you missed any of these this series, you can go back over my Facebook and track me back over the last 20 something days. And you, or and there was a gap while I was in Ukraine, but you can catch up 
Also, they're all on Prayer House YouTube account, Prayer House Weymouth YouTube account. And so enjoy and do feel free to share them, like them, whatever. Pass them around, get people watching. Not because of me, because it's an awesome message. <laughs> Have a great day and God bless you all. Love you guys.